This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We begin with breaking news out of the Fraser Valley tonight. A tragic accident in the Chilliwack backcountry where two children are missing and feared dead. Jordan Armstrong joins us with the details. Jordan, what do we know? Colleen, it happened just before one this afternoon. RCMP, search and rescue, and both ground and air ambulance were called to Foley Lake east of Chilliwack. Police say a side-by-side off-road vehicle carrying a family of five had somehow gone off the forest road and ended up submerged in the lake in about 5 meters or 15 feet of water. Two adults and one child were rescued, but sadly, two other children are missing and feared dead. The coroner and an RCMP dive team are now at the scene. The area is remote and the road the vehicle was on before it crashed is muddy and slippery. It does get quite narrow up alongside the uh, lake um, and drops off. Uh, in some places, it drops off quite a ways down to the lake. And how far was the vehicle below the road? 250 feet below the road. So um, we're not sure if they, you know, how they came off the road and what the circumstances were. Um, we just know the vehicle was down at the bottom of the slope in the water. Now, the three survivors were taken to hospital. Their injuries are not life-threatening. RCMP say the family is from the Lower Mainland, but so far they will not confirm the ages of the missing children. Colleen. Jordan, thank you. It's among the worst possible news imaginable being told you likely have a terminal disease, especially if there's no one there to comfort you. A Maple Ridge family is going through that experience right now. And as Erin MacArthur reports, because of the pandemic, their sorrow is also mixed with frustration. Definitely. Taking care of the family farm, Michelle Dixon is desperate to hold her husband's hand. Two weeks ago, Steve was admitted to Royal Columbian for surgery. According to Michelle, the procedure revealing cancer which had spread from his pancreas to his back. Steve was told the bad news alone in a hospital room full of strangers, his wife not allowed to be bedside because of COVID-19. We haven't seen an oncologist yet, so we, ha- we don't have any kind of a, a timeline. All I've been told is that his prognosis is... Steve Dixon, a farrier by trade, well-loved in the horse community. The news of his cancer diagnosis hit everyone hard. His illness matched the onset of COVID almost exactly. His appointments were bumped or cancelled. And according to Michelle, he was admitted to hospital towards the end of March, jaundiced in severe pain, but was sent home while the system prepared for the worst-case scenario. I know that uh, that cancer surgeries have been happening. There are very many reasons why somebody will or won't have surgery at a specific time. Steve will likely be released from hospital later this week. And despite strict visitation policies, Fraser Health in a statement says it did allow for the patient and family's needs and allowed a visit over the weekend. One hour in the TV room with Michelle gowned up both trying to process the news. I'm confused as to why we don't fit that criteria. You know, even if it's three more days, that's three more days that I don't have with my husband. Once Steve gets back home, 
he and Michelle can sit down and figure out what to do next. In the meantime, all they can do is wait, gripped with uncertainty. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. As provinces across the country begin to slowly reopen their economies, the big question now, what will that look like here in B.C.? Some sectors here are already speaking with their members and hoping to consult government to determine when and how they might get back into business. Grace Key reports. Your visit back to the hairstylist or salon will look different when restrictions are eased. The industry is coming together with ideas on how to move forward. Some of the things that may have to wait are blow drying because the air is flying all over the place and possibly even shampooing only because the operator or the the professional is leaning over the client and that's very close proximity. That means a cut in color may be the first phase of services. Spaced out seating and appointments, masks and increased cleaning are all being looked at. The industry also wants to make sure skin care, nails and other beauty service providers are included in the reopening. The longer this industry remains closed, the less likely many operators are going to come back. The second concern we have is that some of these may go underground, garages, kitchens, mobile. And in that setting, you don't have the right sanitation, you don't have the right equipment, you may not have the right water temperature and all of your tools. Is this the one with the dog? Yes. Bard on the Beach cancelled its 2020 season, but live theatres are also looking at ways to reopen, including performing before smaller crowds. But challenges remain behind the scenes. While we're actually setting up shows, there is an awful lot of close contact. Um, A lot of the pieces that we use... Um, can require three or four people to move. We would have to be in close proximity to actually accomplish that. The union representing technicians and artists says keeping the arts alive will only be sustainable with financial help from the government. They make just enough money to get by. Uh, So if they can't sell out a show, there is a chance that they actually will not survive. It would only be sustainable with uh, subsidies from the government to actually keep the arts alive. Any industry suggestions would ultimately have to be approved by the province. Grace Key, Global News. Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry joins us now. Keith, tomorrow we're expecting some important information about expanding our bubbles, as it were. Uh, potentially, yes, tomorrow. We're gonna, what we're going to be getting tomorrow, uh, Colleen, is uh, new modelling from Dr. Bonnie Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dix. And we've had different forms of modelling presented in the past, the impact on hospital beds, different scenarios and such. Uh, tomorrow is going to be a more detailed look at who actually has gotten sick in B.C. Uh, in terms of all sorts of demographic information, stuff we haven't really seen before. And then laying the foundation of what to expect uh, from Premier John Horgan in midweek when he announces some, some more detailed information of how our economy is going to come back to life. But Dr. Bonnie Henry addressing yesterday uh, what she's looking for, what we can expect from her tomorrow. Here she is. We'll talk a little bit about some of the more detailed pieces of the modelling that allows us to to believe that if we keep doing what we're doing, we can increase uh, the the amount of contact, safe contact that we have without causing a rapid increase in cases. And I want everybody to see the, the work that we've been using to drive those decisions. We're going to have a process together to make sure that we have the standards that that will work for each different sector. 
So you heard the word sector there. There is going to be you know, new criteria for sectors to open their businesses and meet social distancing requirements, a number, number of other requirements as well. Again, tomorrow, more a statistical modeling from uh, Dr. Henry and the big announcement midweek from Premier John Horgan in detail how our economy will reopen, presumably over a gradual, slow period of time. All right. We'll see you tomorrow on BC One. Thanks, Keith. Yeah. Canadians will see a boost in the Canada Child Benefit and increased funding for online access to health services. During his news conference in Ottawa this morning, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said there will be an additional $300 per child on the check coming this month. And $240 million will be spent to increase access to services such as mental health support and virtual access to primary care doctors. Whether you're looking for strategies to manage stress or support from a, from a professional, this will be a resource for you. And if you're part of a marginalized community and you need specialized tools, well, there'll be specific help for you as well. If we can provide mental health support online, there's no reason we can't leverage technology in other areas of healthcare too. And Ottawa is providing $175 million to Vancouver-based Abcellera Biologics for the company's research into the treatment and prevention of COVID-19. Trudeau says their work is showing promising signs of progress in identifying antibodies that could be used to create a vaccine or treatment for the disease. And Ottawa-based Spartan Bioscience announced it is voluntarily recalling its rapid test for COVID-19 after Health Canada expressed concerns about its effectiveness. Health Canada first approved the tests in mid-April. They were set to be rolled out by three provinces. The country's chief public health officer says the recall of 5,500 testing kits won't affect the national testing goal of 60,000 people a day, but could affect the speed of further test increases, especially in rural communities. Non-essential travel to BC's coastal communities will be the focus of a town hall meeting tonight. On Monday, ferry passengers arriving at Skittigat were screened by locals who are concerned about the spread of COVID-19 to their community. A virtual town hall will be held on the issue at 7 o'clock tonight. The Council of the Haida Nation will post the meeting on their Facebook page. Leaders from several coastal First Nations and regional governments will discuss ways to prevent non-essential travel into remote communities. Many are concerned the declaration of hunting and fishing as essential services will permit non-residents into First Nation territories. And mud and debris came crashing down onto part of Highway 1 east of Sycamus this morning. The road between Crazy Creek Bridge and Eagle River was closed for several hours as crews assessed the terrain and cleared the mudslide. It was later reopened to single-lane alternating traffic. Nanaimo RCMP are searching for two teen suspects after a shoplifting spree ended with a fire. The Circle K convenience store on Departure Bay Road sustained thousands of dollars in damage after police say one of two 16-year-old suspects fired a flare sparking a fire. It happened last night after the two teens allegedly entered the store, grabbed a few items and left before paying for them. And the flare was discharged in the direction of a clerk and police say the employee could have been seriously hurt. Investigators ID'd the young suspects through surveillance video. The daughter of a new Westminster woman whose body was discovered one week ago 
has launched a fundraising effort in her mother's memory. Vanessa Sharma is behind the In Memory of Nurla Sharma GoFundMe page. Her goal is to raise $300,000 for Ronald McDonald House in Nurla's name. She says her mother was the type of person who would help anyone, anytime. Nurla Sharma's body was discovered last Sunday. She'd been missing since late February. Foul play is not suspected in her death. Former Royal Canadian Air Force member John Hillman, who recently turned 101 years old, is behind laps for $101,000. The Second World War veteran will be walking five laps of his retirement home courtyard in Oak Bay each day until he reaches his goal. Hillman was inspired by Captain Tom Moore of the UK, who turned 100 this past Thursday. The Second World War veteran has raised more than 30 million pounds for Britain's National Health Service by walking laps in his garden. Both men are bearers of the Burma Star. So great. In a city experiencing significant revenue shortfalls from its pandemic response, Vancouver taxpayers are facing another expense. As Kristen Robinson reports, the added cost is the result of a few people not obeying COVID-19 restrictions. It's come to this. Vancouver playgrounds and outdoor exercise spaces now fortified with fencing. After initial caution tape and signage didn't fend off scoff laws. We've all been home for a while now. I think that people are starting to feel that they're hopeful or ready to get back out into the world, and I understand that, but I think that we need to just hang in there a little bit longer. While most people respected the yellow tape, some just couldn't resist. This guy appearing to use a TRX strap on the pull-up bar at Douglas Park. The park board says at some locations, the tape was ripped down daily, and public use continued so we targeted those particular sites with temporary fencing. If we don't follow these precautionary measures, it's going to take longer um, and we're going to see more instances of COVID. So it's actually working against that instinct. I understand it's human, um, but it doesn't help anybody and it costs the taxpayer. A total of 2,280 feet or 695 meters of fencing now surrounds the Douglas and David Lamb Park playgrounds, the Victoria Drive bocce lanes, and the Coopers Park playground and basketball courts. The estimated cost, $7,000. And in a city which says COVID-19 has created a budget deficit of 60 to 190 million, one councillor says every penny counts. I'd far rather see that money spent on getting our community centres and our libraries up and running than having to put them in to put up fences because people can't respect the tape. Park rangers don't have the power to enforce two-metre physical distancing requirements in city spaces, so it's up to the public to work together to limit the divide. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A Greater Victoria woman is horrifying arachnophobes with her giant spider find. Kristen Lee was walking her dog in Langford last month when the Pomeranian started pulling at the leash. She saw a large, thick-bodied spider initially thought it was fake. An entomologist with the Royal BC Museum says Pacific folding door spiders are native to our coast and vaguely related to tarantulas. The species is about five centimeters in size and can live up to 20 years hiding in burrows and hunting bugs. They do bite, but have a mild venom and are not considered dangerous. When I realized it was real, I just pulled my dog back so fast, took a picture because it was pretty cool, and then booked it out of there real quick. It wasn't 
as bad or as big as a tarantula, but he was a big boy. It was, it, yeah, you would know if he was crawling on you. <laughs> the union representing food workers at the Cargill meat processing plant in High River, Alberta, remains in mediation tonight after it launched legal action to keep the plant closed. It was supposed to reopen tomorrow with increased health measures like temperature checks and mandatory face masks and other protective equipment. There have been 921 confirmed cases at the plant, which has 2,000 workers. On Friday, the union representing workers at Cargill filed legal action to stop the plant reopening. Both sides have been in mediation since Saturday, and those talks continue this evening. Cargill says it will not be sharing whether or not it will reopen as mediation continues. The air show was symbolically very different today in Nova Scotia with two tragedies in the span of just a couple of weeks. People were looking to the heavens for support and Alicia Drauss reports they found some. Just outside CFB Shearwater, members of the Veterans UN NATO group gathered to hold a memorial for those who lost their lives in a Canadian military helicopter crash in Greece on Wednesday. Among the deceased is one of their own, Abigail Cobra. She was a ray of sunshine. She, she was a beautiful, beautiful person and so young. So far, only Cobra's body has been found, but on Friday, the military confirmed the five others on board are all presumed dead. Back home, Cobra's being remembered for her skills as a piper. And for those who knew her, they say it's hard to believe what happened. Last November, she piped uh, at breakfast for us. It's, um, it's going to be hard. Uh, it's going to be hard to keep moving forward. And as these members all grieved her loss, so too does the whole province. Shortly after a moment of silence was held for the chopper crash victims, the Canadian snowbirds flew above the memorial in Shearwater. It's part of their cross-country tour. And what started out as a salute to those on the front lines of COVID-19 has turned into much more here in Nova Scotia. The military aerobatics team is dedicating their flyover to the six military members killed in Greece, as well as the 22 who were killed in a mass shooting just weeks before. It was uh, touching to see. Uh, I'm glad we came out for it. Uh, it's everything we expected. Uh, hits you in the heartstrings, that's for sure. In addition to the Halifax Regional Municipality, the jets flew over Port-a-Pic and DeBert, where the communities continue to grieve those they lost in the shooting. And as Nova Scotians are forced to separate due to COVID-19, watching the snowbirds fly by gave the whole province a chance to stand together apart. Alicia Drouse, Global News, Halifax. In the U.S., there is huge concern tonight as 34 states relax restrictions and many Americans get ready to head back to work. More than a million people have been infected with COVID-19 in the U.S. More than 67,000 people have died. That's more than in any other country. As the numbers spike across the U.S., the Trump administration claims there is evidence COVID-19 originated in a lab in China. And as Jennifer Johnson reports, it's fueling tension about how the outbreak has been handled. The Trump administration is again pointing the finger at China. U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo claims there is evidence the COVID-19 virus came from a Wuhan lab, but isn't providing any proof for his claims. President Trump is very clear. We're going to hold those responsible accountable, and we'll do so on a timeline that is our own. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is not ready to say exactly how this started. 
We continue to work uh, very closely uh, with our partners and allies and indeed uh, independently on uh, many security issues that are important for Canadians. Uh, at this point, we are not drawing any firm conclusions. American intelligence agencies are continuing to investigate whether a lab in China was the origin for this deadly pandemic. Meanwhile, from crowded beaches to reopened malls to protests across the U.S., more and more Americans are shoulder to shoulder, no protective masks, abandoning social distancing rules. It's in God's hands what happens to my, me and my health. White House Coronavirus Task Force members are sounding the alarm. It's devastatingly worrisome to me personally because if they go home and infect their grandmother or their grandfather, they will feel guilty for the rest of our lives. But some governors say they can't stop residents from not playing by the rules. In Ohio, a complete about-face. The governor first ordered shoppers to wear masks, then reversed his rule. People were, were not going to accept the government telling them what to do. Uh, and so we put out you know dozens and dozens of orders. Uh, that was one that it just went too far. In Georgia, one of the first states to reopen, residents showing little concern at crowded indoor malls and outdoor parks, even as its COVID-19 death rate continues to increase. It's a little shocking to see so many people um, just disregarding human life, not wearing protective masks, not staying six feet apart. Staying home um, and being social distanced has saved lives. If this pattern continues, doctors and nurses on the front lines fear another surge in cases. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. There have been a lot of questions lately about how Sweden is managing the pandemic. Seemingly without the restrictive measures many jurisdictions, including B.C., have put into place to save lives and not overwhelm the health care system. Sweden's public health officer argues that by keeping their economy and schools open, they're learning to coexist with the virus. But that's not quite how Dr. Bonnie Henry sees it. I've been watching Sweden and uh, have been looking at uh, the measures that they've taken, many of which are actually very similar to the measures we've taken um, in terms of they have limited in-school classroom teaching, they have limited uh, uh, gatherings and groups and things like that. They have taken precautions around restaurants and other settings, although they may not be as uh, as extreme or to the extent that we have here. I will say that the case fatality rates and the population uh, fatality rates in Sweden are very, very high. So I think it's a balancing of how much you value uh, that, uh, that response. Um, they also have no evidence that we can see yet that they've reached a level of community immunity that would be protective from further outbreaks over the coming weeks and months. The Duchess of Cambridge made a, a surprise virtual visit to a new mom. Hello, very nice to meet you. In the video released by Kensington Palace, the Duchess has a postnatal chat with Rebecca Atwood, who had recently given birth to a baby boy. Atwood said having the surprise conversation after just two hours sleep was a surreal experience. During the video, Kate also spoke with frontline workers discussing the emotional impact the pandemic is having on expectant parents. She also praised nurses, doctors and midwives, of course, and the volunteers working with families during these challenging times. 
This is a little odd. An aquarium in Tokyo is worried that its spotted garden eels may soon forget humans, so they have decided to intervene. Staff have placed five tablets in front of the water tank and are urging the public to video call their collection of around 300 spotted garden eels. The aquarium says the eels have become more evasive recently, burrowing themselves in the sand to hide when staff approach their tank. Hmm. It's no magic cure, but researchers in Germany have come up with a natural way to help you recover from a hangover. They tested a combination of five fruits, leaves and roots on a group of adults who were drinking alcohol. Twelve hours later, they reported less severe headaches, nausea and restlessness than compared to those who drank the placebo. The plant extracts included Barbados cherry, prickly pear, ginkgo biloba, willow and ginger root. They were combined with several vitamins and minerals, and it's not recommended that you try to make your own at home. And this might be an especially good time to try to quit smoking. A new study finds that smoking increases entry points in the lungs for COVID-19. Researchers in South Carolina found smokers were also at increased risk. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Risk of the virus binding to proteins in the lungs. The much needed haircut after seven years. The story of Prickles the runaway sheep right after Yvonne's forecast. You got to see this guy. Okay, Yvonne, before you give us your forecast, <laughs> some really interesting weather this afternoon that prompted our reporter John Waugh and me to pull out our phones. Yeah, let's see what you shot. Uh, depending on where you were, it was a mixed bag. You start off with sun, then we had these pockets. Uh, we had intense downfall, uh, intense rain, rather, a few spots with hail, and it was large for many areas as well, so I think it took a lot of people by surprise if you were out on the roadways, uh, but in many people's gardens, yes, it was accumulated so it was a little bit of spring snow, I call it, out there. So, yes. Wow. Here's another great shot that was taken. This was in Mission, out on the roadways, captured by Robin. And another great shot taken in Burnaby. So it did look like snow for many areas, but it was hail. We had rain, and then it did break up uh, for a few spots as well. Mission captured by Alexandra of the Hail Today and on the patio in Burnaby for Lorna. After the storm, Salt Spring Island, Leslie took this great shot with the rainbow that appeared just over the water, so thank you so much. Different weather picture out there right now. We are going to see uh, the cloud cover easing off. It'll be partly cloudy tonight, much calmer for all areas across the south coast. We're sitting at 12 degrees with a southwesterly wind at 11 kilometers per hour. Here's a glance, though, overnight with the future cast putting it into to play. It'll be partly cloudy, a dry start for Monday morning. And then towards the afternoon, we have more cloud cover that is going to push in and the return for some wet weather. It'll be showers moving across the island as early as the afternoon. And then all areas for Metro Vancouver and eastern areas stretching into the Fraser Valley will be late evening and overnight. And then another break once again on Tuesday. We do have rainfall or showers both Monday night and Tuesday night, dry through the day. And then a heads up on Wednesday, we've got a blip in the forecast. A system 
system that is going to bring rain heavy at times. That'll likely be the wettest day out of the week so far, and then it clears out towards the evening. Long-range forecasts wanted to show you Thursday, Friday, Saturday, potentially in towards next weekend. Temperatures are going to soar, especially areas away from the water. We could get up to 25, potentially 26 degrees. That'll be later on in the week. So a bit of a blip for the first few days. Wednesday, the wettest once again, and then it really does start to improve towards the end of the week and in towards next weekend. Here's a look at the northern half of the province. It'll start off dry for areas near Prince Rupert. More cloud cover rolling in late in the day and then a chance of showers towards the evening. Inland, fantastic, very pleasant. Highs up to 15 degrees. There is some wet snowfall developing for the northeastern corners, areas near Fort Nelson. Central interior and much of the southern half of the province. Pleasant for the day tomorrow. Cloud cover starting off for the Columbia and Kootenai and then a clearing on the way by the afternoon. Highs up to 18 degrees for the central Okanagan and all areas across the south coast. Dry start to the morning, northern and central half of the island. We'll start to see some showers rolling in. That will be towards the afternoon and then evening and late evening for Metro Vancouver. We do have some unsettled conditions both Monday, Tuesday night. Periods of rain will be on Wednesday. It'll be windy, especially for areas closer to the water for tomorrow. And then Thursday, Friday onwards, sunshine. Temperatures do start to warm up towards the end of the week. Colleen? Wow, nice. All right, thanks so much, Yvonne. A sheep missing for more than seven years has helped raise more than $7,700 for refugees. We're going to hear about that in a moment. But first, this is Prickles after seven years on the lamb, and you thought you needed a haircut. Yeah, this is Prickles getting shorn on Friday, producing 30 pounds of fleece. According to her owner, the sheep had escaped from a farm in Australia after a bushfire destroyed 30 miles of fencing. Prickles' wool will be made into items that will be auctioned off for the UNHCR Refugee Agency. The response to Prickles' reappearance has been extraordinary. When we found her, we were joking about how Prickles was an expert at social isolation. And then we thought we could use Prickles as an example to help people who aren't so lucky at isolating. And we thought about refugees in refugee camps, because imagine COVID-19 racing through a camp where no one can have social isolation and where there can be 1,300 people to share one tap. So we thought they're the people most in need during this pandemic. So we started a competition where people could guess the weight of Prickles fleece and the money would go towards UNHCR, which is the United Nations refugee charity. That's fun. <laughs> and doesn't she have a spring in her step now she, that she <laughs> lost all that wool? My, my first reaction to the story was, bah. <laughs> Thanks, I need Barry. the dun dun Yeah, we need a little rim shot. Uh, what do you got coming up, Barry? <laughs> it was way funnier when I thought about it a few seconds ago. It was funny, Bear. We'll give it to you. It was funny. Try to get a laugh track in here. Uh, well, it's another story of another BC kid uh, going to the NFL. Last week, we uh, featured Chase Claypool, who got drafted by the Steelers. Now, Ryzen John, who's uh, from Vancouver, is, uh, has signed on to the New York Giants. It's a tall tale. We'll have that story coming. Wow. We know cats have come down with COVID-19, and just last week, U.S. researchers say they diagnosed the first dog with the virus. But the illness may pose the greatest risk to some of the world's rarest animals, the ones that are, well, most like us. In the Democratic Republic of Congo, there's growing fear the illness could spread to the country's magnificent mountain gorillas. It is one of Africa's most electrifying adventures coming face-to-face with the majestic mountain gorilla. 
There are around 1,000 left in the world. Their numbers have been depleted by climate change and poacher snares. Now they face an even more devastating threat. Up close and personal, these gorillas may look invincible, but they're susceptible to the same diseases as us. We filmed these gorillas during a recent trip to the Democratic Republic of Congo. And the threat was Ebola. Now there is a new invisible enemy, the coronavirus. While the pandemic sweeping the globe has not yet reached the gorilla population, conservationists are on high alert. As you can see, it's been very difficult to manage even human cases. You imagine so for wild animals moving freely. That is one of the big challenges. Vets like Dr. Eddie Kambale, who work for the non-profit organization Gorilla Doctors, are deeply concerned about the coronavirus because respiratory infections are the second leading cause of death amongst gorillas. When we visited the gorillas, it took us about an hour to reach a family of 44. Already, social distancing was being practiced long before the world knew about the coronavirus. We had to wear masks to protect the gorillas from any potential diseases we may be carrying and stand at least 23 feet away. Today, that kind of up-close and personal experience has been stopped. The park is closed to visitors. These images were taken before the global pandemic. Here, gorillas are being treated for routine illnesses that can occur. But now, measures are more stringent. Rangers and vets have to stand at least 33 feet away. Only two people can approach a gorilla at any one time, and most of the observation is done at a distance through binoculars. Goodness. Well, first it was fire, then flooding, and now a couple in Fort McMurray, Alberta, has made the ultimate commitment for better or worse. Randy, I give you this string. Brienne Shacklady and Ryan Ringheim tied the knot on their flooded driveway in Draper this afternoon. The bride says everything they've been through in the past few years has actually strengthened their bond. And they were married by a commissioner with two witnesses, one of which recorded this video for friends and family. And the couple exchanged vows with strings instead of rings and hoped to have a big party when life finally gets back to normal. Good for them. Barry's here with a look at sports, and it sounds like the uh, Whitecaps, um, how should you say it, their, their COVID vacation has come to an end? Ah, uh, and it couldn't come a, a moment too soon <laughs> for these guys. Can you imagine uh, pro athletes being cooped up? It's for everybody, of course, but uh, in their situation, it's been tough. Thanks, Colleen. The, uh, the door has finally opened, maybe just a crack uh, for pro athletes in North America. It's coming up on eight weeks since most of the league shut down, including Major League Soccer. But MLS will allow players to work out individually at team facilities starting this Wednesday. It will be very controlled with temperature checks and staggered workouts so players keep their distance. But for Jake Wirt and Nerwinski, just getting back, even in a limited way, is a great feeling. Yeah, it's huge. You know, we don't know what it really entails yet, what the parameters are and what we can and can't do. But um, nonetheless, it's a big step in getting back to, you know, normal life. You know, I think guys are 
starting to go a little stir crazy because we're, you know, we just want to be out there. We just want to play the sport that we love and do what we love. Yeah, I'm going to be completely honest. I'm probably the fittest I have been in a really long time. Um, you know, the our strength coach put on a workout challenge for the whole team throughout the month of uh, April. So guys have been logging like three, four hours a day of working out. So I, you know, I recently just ran a half marathon for fun, just, just to see if I can do it. And, um, yeah, I'm not really being that much of a couch potato, I'm going to be honest. I'm, I'm ready to go. In my opinion, I think it would be anywhere from a month to, you know, maybe four to six weeks. I think that's, you know, the enough time to get fit. Um, it's almost like a mini preseason, preseason, usually two months. I think it would be a little less than that for guys to, you know, get back just to make sure that, you know, injuries are at a minimum and everything like that when we get back. So a glimmer of hope. Uh, well, unlike Abbotsford's Chase Claypool, SFU's Ryzen John did not get taken in the NFL draft, but he just might be facing Claypool's Pittsburgh Steelers this coming season. John has signed a free agent contract with the New York Giants after a senior season at Simon Fraser that caught everyone's attention. The rise of Ryzen John literally happened the summer between his grade 10 and 11 school years at Vancouver College. I think I shot, shot off from 6'2 and a half to like 6'6". Six, six. That was about the size of it, and it helped turn John from a very good receiver into an imposing physical presence that dominated in his last two years of high school ball. He definitely caught the eye of colleges, and Kelly Bates was more than happy to recruit and then coach Ryzen for two years at Simon Fraser University. I think everybody saw that he had the physical size. I mean, you can't coach size. You knew he had the work ethic. You knew he had the right mindset. You, you just, it was time to watch the process occur. John began starting games midway through his freshman year and never looked back, capping his career this past fall, leading the Great Northwest Athletic Conference in catches, yards, and touchdowns. This time, the pro scouts noticed as many as 15 NFL teams contacted SFU. They liked my film from my junior season, and you know they might show interest later down the line, and that definitely gave me some confidence that um, you know I put, you know I keep working uh, what I did uh, for my junior season leading up to my senior season as well. Um, I you know you know I had a really good shot and uh, you know into doing this thing. He didn't get drafted by an NFL team, but just moments after the draft, the New York Giants called and offered John a three-year deal, which he readily accepted. Still feels pretty surreal right now. I'm just very excited to be a part of a Giant now, too, though, and you know, still going over to New York, hopefully soon, though, after everything clears up again, too. But very excited to be a New York Giant now and uh, just ready to get this process going, too. So it's going to be pretty fast-paced going on from here. But when John does make it to New York, he won't be playing receiver. The Giants want to turn him into a tight end, a position he's never played before. He'll need to gain some weight, but with his height and catching ability and work ethic, he's confident he can make the adjustment. I mean, there's got to be a lot of details that, you know, I got to hone in on. But at the same time, as a player and as a competitor, if you want to get that playing time, you mean, it doesn't hurt to ask questions as well um, as a player to a coach or to another veteran that you know, that could possibly help you. I think he has all the skills and ability to play at the pro level, and, and now he just has to have all those things fall into place. And, and then the big factor uh, of luck that uh, everybody, every athlete, whether they believe it or not, it's part of it. I said it was a tall tale earlier. He is officially listed at six foot seven and a half inches, 
233 pounds. And this past Thursday, he was chosen by the Calgary Stampeders in the third round of the CFL draft. Right now, he's focused on making the NFL, but says he's open, uh, open to coming to Canada if things don't work out down south. So amazing. Two BC kids going to the NFL in the space of a week. So that's the amazing. amazing stuff. Yeah. Oh, good for them. Good for them. Thanks for the story, Barry. Mm -hmm. It's great. It is now time for our nightly thanks to our BC healthcare heroes. Yvonne, who is it tonight? Tonight we are honoring the Perfusion Department and Vancouver General Hospital. Perfusionists run the heart-lung machines during open-heart surgeries and lung transplants, but lately have been working around the clock in the VGH ICU COVID-19 unit, running the ECMO machines. When a COVID-19 patient's lungs can no longer be supported by a ventilator, the ECMO machine provides the highest level of life support by oxygenating the patient's blood and removing carbon dioxide, allowing their lungs to rest and recover. This tight-knit department of 15 perfusionists have sacrificed their personal time for their patients, so we want to thank them all. And if you have a healthcare hero to nominate, email us a few pictures to bchealthcareheroes at globalnews.ca and tell us why they are your hero. And it's uh, just a, a good reminder that these folks signed up to help others. They didn't sign up to risk their own lives, and that's exactly what they do every single day. So, yay. And yay. thank you. Yeah, no kidding. Thanks for that, Yvonne. It's arguable the people most hurt by this pandemic are our seniors. They're the most vulnerable to the disease and to loneliness and even boredom. So the recreational manager at a Surrey care home decided to get her clients involved in a fun challenge. And as Paul Johnson reports, the results... Well, they're works of art. Meet the art connoisseurs of the Almenita Retirement Home. We're confined uh, in here for, it's been over 30 days now. Isolated for the foreseeable future, the usual activities like bingo and word games were starting to feel a little stale until Recreation Director Karen Schaefer found something online. And they challenge people to recreate famous paintings with stuff you have at home. So I've become an international figure now. On a hunch, she started with Jim Colonna, having him pose as the 17th century painter Van Dyck in his self-portrait. The trend immediately caught on. It was kind of nice to be a queen <laughs> for just five minutes. Ursula Katz dressed up to this portrait of a Romanian queen. A bit of an absurdist choice, she admits. I'm no queen, I can promise you that. She was a really pretty, pretty lady, and especially mango is my favorite fruit. Florence Gruel chose this painting from Paul Gauguin's South Pacific phase. Other residents recreated paintings from lesser-known moderns to Renoir. It's been really quite gratifying because our folks are really enjoying the connections. When you're limited to phone visits with family and friends, this is a wonderful new topic of conversation. And no surprise that success in the art world often triggers a hint of vanity. Jim reminded us he prefers to be photographed on his good side. And Ursula had the usual worry about whether her shot made her look older. The way I look on the picture, I look like 100. I don't know, maybe I look like a hundred to you now. Not a chance, young lady. In Surrey, Paul Johnson, Global News.